You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Thank you again, and thanks. Uh, happy Thanksgiving weekend to everyone. I hope that you enjoyed your time with your family or friends or whoever you spent time with. Hope that you uh, loaded up on carbs, got fully carbonated, and had your naps and watched your football games and are totally alert, just ready to, to worship God uh, with us this morning and hear from Him. Uh, before we do get started, I do want to say uh, thanks again. Let's all give Kelly, Mary, Terry, Christy, and Jamie a hand for decorating the place. They did all this yesterday, so thank you guys. Yeah, the place looks great, so thank you so much for doing that. It's going to be fun to celebrate Advent together, and we're actually going to be looking at John 14, continuing our series in the Upper Room Discourse. We're going to try to look at John 14 kind of through like an Advent uh, type of lens, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, I do see some new folks here, lots of new folks actually, so I don't know if you're here with uh, families or just visiting for the first time, but really glad that you're here. I should introduce myself. My name's Justin, and I serve as the associate pastor at Midtown, and so we're really happy that you guys are here. Hope that you experience uh, God's love for you this morning. And I'm going to do my best using this handheld mic. We normally have one that, you know, just goes there and I can wave my hands around, which I don't really do too often, but now be confined to this one, but it'll all be good. Uh, As I said, we're going to continue our series in the Upper Room Discourse. And the Upper Room Discourse is on the last night of Jesus' life when he gathers all of his disciples around him and has a long conversation with them, preparing them for what's going to happen next. And you can really find this kind of in all the different Gospels, but particularly the Gospel of John that we're looking at contains not just the narrative of what happened, but it actually, John included a lot of the instruction that that Jesus gave on that last night. He's with his disciples, and so it's going to be fun for us to continue to look at it. You all know that I got back from Israel. Some of my friends that went to Israel uh, with us are here this morning, and uh, one of the things that we did is we actually got to go up in the area of town to this upper room, at least the place that they deem as possibly being the place where this upper room was. It didn't feel too authentic to me, to be honest, but it it at least gave you the idea of what part of town Jesus was in and what an upper room would have looked like. And if you read, actually, the account in Luke, as he tells the story, it's a really neat story that that Jesus kind of says, you're just going to find this guy, and this guy's going to give you a space. And so someone donated this upper room for them to meet and have these last conversations with his disciples. And if you were with us for the first part, we looked at chapter 13, some of the main parts of uh, chapter 13 is where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And as he did, at the end, he says, as I do this to you, you need to do this to one another. He gives them a new command, and the new command is that you're supposed to love one another as I have loved you. Jake called that the platinum command, not the golden rule, the platinum rule. We don't just love as we love ourselves. Now we're supposed to love as Jesus loves. So he's saying, I'm doing this for you. You need to do this for others. But then we also read in John chapter 13, which kind of leads into 14 that I'll be talking about today, that Jesus also told them that he was going to go away from them. And it caused a lot of confusion, a lot of anxiety. They didn't know. They were asking questions. And he also said that one of them was going to betray him. And Peter says, well, I would die for you. And he says, no, Peter, you're actually going to deny me three times, what we looked at last week. And so you can see among the disciples, because Jesus says, I'm going to go away from you, and where I'm going, you cannot come, that there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of confusion. And that's the place that you find the disciples in when we enter this chapter 14 today, this place of fear and confusion, largely because Jesus says, I'm going somewhere where you can't go. Y'all ever have that feeling? Ever have like anxiety, fear, uncertainty? What I like to call, um, uh, God, what are you doing moments? You ever have one of those? 
Maybe it wasn't even a moment. It's a God, what are you doing season, a whole season of your life that you look back and go, man, God, what were you doing? A season may be filled with fear or anxiety, uncertainty, confusion, where you're just asking yourself that question, like, God, what, what are you doing here? Um, preparing for this sermon this week, I, I kind of thought, I wonder how to get in the feeling of the disciples and the place that they were at. So I thought, what was the last time I can remember where I went through kind of maybe a prolonged season of what I would call a God, what are you doing season? And I kind of nailed it. I said, yeah, this is the one that comes to mind. And then Brynn and I went out to dinner this week, and I told her a little bit of what I was thinking about the, with the sermon and said, hey, have you ever had, what would you think would be like one of your God, what are you doing, doing moments? And she said, 2016. I said, me too. That's the one I was thinking about too. That's the one that I wanted to share about. So uh, 2016 was just a pretty wild year for us. In fact, what I decided to do, you all know that I'm a pretty meticulous journaler, but there were so many weird things, God, what are you doing moments that happened in my life during that year, really in Brenda and I's life together, that I actually just put together like a Word doc in my computer and just started documenting them. Here it is. Six pages. <laughs> Six pages. And it's literally just a date beginning December 4th, and it ends on August 4th. And I called it the miracles and trials of 2016. <laughs> it was just like every time I turned around, there was something crazy that was happening. I just wanted to document this so I could go back and look at it and see how God delivered me in this God, what are you doing uh, type of moment. Have you had some of those before? Like that year in particular, just to give you a couple of the highlights that happened that year, lowlights largely, <laughs> was things with myself, my body. I had shoulder surgery, was recovering some surgery in the middle of that surgery. I had another injury to the arm that I thought I busted the, the ligament that they tore, but I actually just tore my bicep in the same arm. Um, and then I was reading back in my journals at that time too. I also started going back, uh, having to go to a doctor or a chiropractor because my back was hurting. It was just a season of physical pain. Not just physical pain, that led to financial pain <laughs> because going to rehab a lot doesn't help. Uh, I wrote down there, one of the things that was listed in the miracles and trials of 2016 was that our, our foundation of our house was messed up. We had to pay for things. Uh, Brenda's got hit by a car and totaled our cars. We had to get a new car. Just all the financial woes that took place. And it was a really particularly strange year for me because in that year, um, what I had done previously, the only job I had outside of college was I started a campus ministry called Campus Renewal. And I worked at UT with college students for 21 years. But that, that was the year that I felt like God was calling me to do something different. And I was having conversations with my boss and my staff and telling them that I was leaving. Also in that time, that was a period when, when Midtown actually asked me to consider coming on staff at Midtown. And so it was a lot of prayer and discernment trying to figure out, like, God, what are you doing? Is this something that we're supposed to do? And probably most significantly was that Brenda had a cancer scare during that year uh, where we found that there was a mass that had to be removed and the, the doctor's appointments leading up to it were all preparing us for the worst. Um, but then I told us the trials and miracles of 2016, my little document, was it ended up that nothing happened. That it was just a mass that was removed and it was not cancerous. I remember sitting in the waiting room with Jake when the doctor came out and said, hey, come on to this room and I'm going to tell you what happened. And her just giving us the good news that it was nothing was there. Miracles and trials, that was for me like a, God, what are you doing type of moment. Can you guys think of one? Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you can look back on one. But I think if you can kind of put yourself in that place right now, you'll get a sense of what the disciples are, are doing. Because most of the time when we have the God, what are you doing moments, it has to do something like with uh, uh, financial trouble, health trouble, uh, relationship trouble, career trouble, or especially at the loss of a loved one, or especially a loss of a dream. And that's where the disciples are right now. When Jesus is saying he's leaving them, their primary concern is, why can't we be with you? We want to be with you. Like, we're losing a friend. We've been walking together for three years, and now you're leaving us? And they're also losing a dream. 
because they thought that Jesus was going to come be the Messiah and be their spiritual, probably even some of them, political leader that they thought was going to be this whole different vision. They didn't imagine Jesus going to the cross, and it killed what they thought they were a movement that they were going to be a part of. And so that's where they're at. God, what are you doing type of moment? And then Jesus says these words to them. He's going to say a couple things to comfort them and a couple things to give clarity to them. Let's look first at comfort. In comfort, he says, don't be troubled. I'm preparing a place for you. Back to John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have, I, <clears throat> if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Jesus starts by comforting them, comforting them by telling them, don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I like that it says that don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus knew that there was something going on. He was looking, focusing on their hearts, and the, the heart in that, that day would have been like more like your core being, like in the inner, your inner self. And he says that he was troubled, and that word troubled actually is the word agitated or stirred up. It would be like a word that they'd use when a storm would come, and the seas would get kind of stirred up. And Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he's seeing the stirring in their hearts, their emotions. He sees that they're stirred, they're agitated, they're troubled by what was happening. And his first command to them is just to have faith. Believe in God and believe in me. Now, if you have the NIV version, uh, it would say, you believe in God, also believe in me. But if you had the ESV version in front of you and the, the, the red Bibles in front of you, it says actually believe in God, believe in me, kind of two commands. If you, the, either one, if you use the NIV or the ESV, you'd see a little note beside it that would say that this could be either or. But it really doesn't matter too much because he's still saying the same thing. Like if you believe in God, believe in me or believe in the Father, believe too in me. Have faith. Have faith in the character of God that you don't have to be stirred and troubled by this. I know what I'm doing. God has a plan. Jesus says, I have a plan. Have faith. But then he goes on to give them uh, what I love in this, this uh, discourse, the comfort that they need. And he's going to give them clarity on where he's going. First, he tells them he's going to prepare a place for them. Now, I kind of want to pause for just a second and tell you that the whole of chapter 14, he's going to say two things to them. But I'm not going to get into the whole second one because that's going to be later in the sermon series. But the two big things that he's saying to them, remember, nervous, very nervous, anxious that they're not going to get to be with Jesus. The first thing he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me. We're going to be together again. And then the second half of John 14, and really a lot through the rest of the sermon, uh, or the rest of the uh, upper room discourse, he says, but I'm going to promise you the Holy Spirit. So my presence spiritually, I'm going to be away physically, but spiritually I'm going to be with you because I'm going to send the Spirit to be with you. And so in the coming weeks and really the rest of the, the Upper Room Discourse, we're going to hear a lot about the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to talk too much about that today. But no, that's what he's saying. I'm physically going away to prepare a place for you. We will be together again someday, and the Spirit's going to be with you now when I send the Spirit to you. So those are the two things that he's telling them to do. But when Jesus said, like, where, you, where I'm going, you cannot go in chapter 13, I think that he at least meant uh, two things by that. In one sense, he meant, like, I'm going to the cross like, I'm going to die for you. And so when he told Peter, uh, you, you can't follow me. You're not going to, but you will one day. He was referencing that, that Peter ultimately would die for him. That you guys will ultimately die for me, but you can't do it right now. In fact, all, right now, you're all going to flee. But I know the context of this one, the second thing that Jesus meant by that, is that he's not going to be with them because he's going to prepare a place for them. And they couldn't go with him up into heaven and ascend to be in heaven with the Father at that time. But he said, you guys will come. Eventually, and that's what Jesus was saying. Isn't that great? 
Isn't that such an awesome assurance to have? Aren't there the words of the comfort that you need sometimes when you're in the God, what are you doing type of moment in your life? Like, I don't know how it's gonna end, but I know it's ultimately gonna end this way. That if I have faith in Christ, he's prepared a place for me. I'm gonna get to be with him. I love too that it doesn't just talk about the place. He says, I'm preparing a place, but it's more about the person than it is with the place. I'm gonna talk more about that in a minute. But the disciples, remember, they were concerned about the person, not the place. I'm gonna go prepare a place for you so you can be with me where I am. It's about the person. This assurance is something that we all need, right? And those, God, what are you doing type of moments to know that at the end, I know what's gonna happen. I put my faith in Jesus. I put my faith in these words of Jesus that he will prepare a place for me and I will get to be with him forever. What a comfort. It's one of my favorite verses actually in scripture. It's one that I go to every, every so often just when I'm in those places just to go back and go, I don't know what's happening right now, but I do know assurance. I'm trusting in Jesus' words that he said he'd prepare a place for those who have their faith in him. That's why at every funeral of a Christian person that I've officiated, I go to these verses because it's not just assurance for the person, it's assurance for all that are listening, all the family, to know that this person has got a place prepared for them that God has made for them. Great assurance. I said I wanted to focus, too, that it's not just about the place, it's about the person. Because if you think that the best part of heaven or new heaven or new earth would be uh, just to be with other loved ones or see the beauty of this new place or to be free from sin, those are all great things, great, great things. We can't wait for that. But if we had all those things but didn't have Jesus, it would be worthless. That's not what we want. What we want more than anything else is to be in the presence of Jesus. It's what Adam and Eve lost when they sinned. When they sinned, God's presence was removed from them, and it's what Jesus is restoring to us, that we're going to get to be with him. And every prophetic word in the Old Testament and the New that talks about Jesus' coming return, the climax of every single time they're describing his return, the climax of it is you're going to get to be with God. In fact, Revelation 21, here's how it climaxes talking about the new heaven and new earth. And then I heard a loud voice on the throne. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, be their God. What's the proclamation? What's the biggest joy that's shared? God's dwelling place is going to be with man. We're going to get to be with God. And that's what the disciples wanted most. That's what they worried them the most. They were with Jesus for these years and thought, I just want to be with you. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to send my spirit, but I'm also going to go to heaven, and you will be with me someday and for eternity. What great comfort. Last weekend, uh, Brendan and I went to uh, Dallas to celebrate my mom's 70th birthday, and on Friday, we were the first ones in line to see The Chosen. I don't know if y'all know The Chosen. Uh, most of y'all know, know about it, but it's a, a kind of a TV series that's filmed around, uh, based around the life of Jesus, and we've watched it together as a church, so most of you know about it. I don't know. New faces, some of you might not know, but it's just a wonderful series, and Normally, Christian stuff is really cheesy, but this is incredibly good. And I know uh, all of us who've watched it look at it and just be, man, this is so awesome. So we wanted to be first in line to see the first new, new episodes, and they were, they were wonderful. I can't wait to see them all come back out. But one of the reasons that I love The Chosen is uh, I'm kind of a video, a visual and audio learner, and so being able to see this on the screen and see the person of Jesus as it's, as it's depicted in that show, it makes me want to be with Jesus more than anything else. I watch those shows and I think, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to meet him face to face. And I know I'm going to because he's made this promise. What a joy. I mean, the disciples who had been with him, at least they had face to face time with him for all those years. Now they were going to lose him. But think about you and I. 
who've never yet seen Jesus face to face. Can you imagine? That's going to be the greatest joy. That's what we want more than anything else. Not just the place, but the person of Jesus. So Jesus tells them, first tries to comfort them with these words, I'm preparing a place for you. But then they kind of begs the question. The question is, well, well, how do we get there? And that's what the disciples ask. And what Jesus does next is give them some clarity in answer to the question they were asking. Clarity, do not be troubled. I am the way for you. You know the way, verse 4 now. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You got to love the disciples. <laughs> Jesus was being as clear as he could be, and they still have questions. Uh, love that, too, about Jesus, to know that we can come to him with our questions as well and just ask. And they're like, well, okay, we know that you're going to prepare a place for you, but, but how do we get there? We don't even know what you're talking about. How do, how do we get there? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. This is actually the sixth time that Jesus uses his I am statements. If you track through the book of John, there's seven I am statements of Jesus where he says, I am, I am, I am. And that was pretty controversial on that day because that was the name that God gave himself when he talked with Moses, when he said, I am that I am. And so the Jewish people didn't use that word. They didn't say I am because if you said I am, you're kind of referring yourself to be God. Yet here Jesus, throughout the book of John, continues to make these statements boldly about himself. And the religious leaders and the people of that day knew what he meant when he used these words, I am. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then we'll see later in this upper room discourse, I am the true vine. Seven times Jesus made these statements. He actually made two more, but they weren't kind of the, the I am this or that. Uh, the other one was one time when he was talking with the religious leaders in, in John. He said, uh, I, before Abraham was, I am. And at that moment, the religious leaders wanted to kill him because he was making himself to be equal with God. That's how they knew what he was doing by saying that. And then the other time was at the end of this, uh, sermon, uh, this uh, upper room discourse when Jesus is in the garden and gets betrayed. The guards come to him and say, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. And when he does, the book of John records that all the people fall to their feet. I am. Bold statements of Jesus. I share all that to say that this is a big deal. A big deal that Jesus would make these statements about himself. And particularly this one, verse 6, is one of the more well-known verses in the Bible. You've probably heard it before if you've been around church. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And notice he didn't say I am the way, truth, and the life. Each time he said I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because he's pointing out a singular word to say, in essence, I am the only way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. Now, I'm very aware that in our culture, this is not a popular concept. But Jesus said, I am the only way to God. No one can come to the Father except through me. And that goes against all the pluralism, all the relativism of our culture. Indeed, it does. But I want you to believe that Jesus said this. And you can't hold the fact that Jesus had prepared a place for you. You want to hold that in such great regard as your great assurance and then not hold the other truth that Jesus says in the same vein, that I am the way to God. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that, of course, assumes that you actually believe these are the words of Jesus. And I'm, I'm probably aware that there are some of you here who don't necessarily trust that the Scriptures are uh, accurate depiction of Jesus' actual words. And, and if that's your case, I first want to say we're so glad that you're here. We really are. 
Like we love that these disciples could ask Jesus questions and we wanna be a community here at Midtown that welcomes questions. And so we're so glad that you're here. And if you are in that boat, the second thing I'd recommend is that you really try to think about what the Bible says. And we've got these books out there called Why Trust the Bible that can give you maybe some ideas. And don't just choose not to believe it because our culture says that there can't just be one way to God. Like, look at it. Decide if these are really Jesus' words. And if they are Jesus' words, this great promise that he makes to prepare a place for us, it's also true that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And while these words seem very exclusive to us, and ultimately were what got Jesus killed, right? Because he was claiming, I am. That's what happened. That's why he got killed. And they seem exclusive. The other thing you have to look about Jesus, who do read the New Testament and read about his life, as much as he was exclusive in these statements, he was the most inclusive of all the people. In fact, the religious leaders of his day, his primary woe against religious leaders of his day, in Matthew, in Matthew 23, he has this kind of sermon with these woes, telling him, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you Pharisees. The very first one is woe to you, because you shut the, kingdom of, uh, you shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces. Jesus hated that the religious leaders were making it hard for people to come to him. As much as his statement is exclusive, his statement, his life was completely inclusive. Jesus was called the friend of sinners. That was his nickname. And in, contact, in contrast to religious leaders of his day, he welcomed the tax collectors, the zealots, the prostitutes, Samaritans, the rich, the poor, the Jew, the Gentile, the clean and unclean, the healthy, the unhealthy, religious, the irreligious. And Jesus, as much as he was killed for his claims of, his claims of exclusivity, was also killed because of the way he was inclusive and the people that he invited to come be part of the kingdom. Did you catch his words in John chapter 14? He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Jesus wants everyone to come. That's why he lived an exclusive life. And it's why his last words to his disciples were, you guys go be my disciples and you go be my witnesses to all the world. That's why he promised too, in some of his other teachings, that, not, that, that he will not return until everyone's had a chance to hear the gospel, people from every tribe, every tongue. Jesus is very inclusive as well. People took offense at that as well. I'm forever grateful for a guy named Barry Bowling. Barry Bowling was the guy that uh, did a chapel for me at our football team uh, my freshman year in high school. Somehow he said, hey, you guys, if you want to come be a part of the Bible study, um, you're welcome to join me. And for some reason, I decided that I would do it. I had a friend that was kind of witnessing to me on the side. And so I thought if I just join the Bible study, at least I can get him off my back. Like he'll leave me alone. I'll just be like, dude, I'm in a Bible study. Leave me alone. I'm going to keep doing the stuff I'm doing, but I'm in a Bible study. But that was the first time I ever really looked at Jesus. And in this Bible study, I started reading about the life of Jesus and it all, it all became real to me. And in Estes Park, Colorado in 1988 at a conference called uh, The Getaway <laughs> with uh, Cruz High School Ministry, there with Barry Bowling, I believed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And I put my faith in him. And I've been following his way ever since that time. So grateful for God's work in my life and, and helping me see who Jesus was. But the sad truth is that some people, this isn't their story. Um, I told you uh, recently that I've been rereading all my old journals. I'm in uh, 2012 right now, but in December of 2011, I was reading about the story. I, for months, I could tell I was meeting my friend or meeting with this other guy that was considering the faith for the first time. Grew up atheist, grew up in a, in a family that didn't believe, but he was thinking about it for the first time. And for weeks on end, we would meet with him and we would read the scriptures. We'd look at Jesus' life together. And when I read my journal in December of 2011 was when he told me he didn't want to do it anymore. 
He said, I think I've decided I don't really want to follow Jesus. I don't, it's not interested to me. And as hard, was that, <laughs> hard as that was for me to hear, uh, that, that's his choice. He's since moved away from Austin. If you were here last week, you heard my sermon. My sermon was uh, that God is never through with us. I still believe this for my friend, that I can still pray for him, and God's not through with him yet. But for that point in time, he said, I don't want to look at this anymore. And so when those are the cases and people do that, I often think of C.S. Lewis's quote where he said there's just two types of people in the world. There's, there's those that say, God, your will be done. And then there's those who in the end, God says to them, thy will be done. If you didn't want Jesus, then you don't have to be with Jesus. I know everyone here uh, on this Thanksgiving day, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, might not have your faith in Jesus. You might be questioning right now. And and for you, from this sermon, I would just urge you to believe. Like, put your faith in Jesus. He really is the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to prepare a place for you. And in in the Father's house, there are many rooms. so, So put your faith in him. You can do that today just by saying a simple prayer, telling him that you trust him. You have fallen short of his glory. That you have sinned and you, and you trust in his forgiveness through the cross. That you want to have the resurrected life that he promised. You can just pray that. You could pray it right now. And the spirit would come into your life and you would be among those that get to have a room in God's house, in the Father's house. But I know for most of us here, just because I know uh, 90% of you, that you have done that. You have put your faith in Jesus. You do believe that he is the way and the truth and the life. And you put your faith in him, whether it's 1988 like myself or in the last year, whatever your story would be. And for you, I want to urge you not to stop there. Because as much as Jesus was saying that I'm the way and the truth and the life, he wasn't just only referring to being able to provide salvation to be with him in eternity. He was saying, I am the way. Like, I am the way. And you need to practice my ways. If you remember In John chapter 13, as he's starting to teach them in these instructions in this upper room discourse, he's trying to show them a new way of relating to God. And when you see when we get later into the uh, the sermon or the uh, discourse that he's having with them, he's going to talk about the Spirit, and the Spirit gives us new relationship with God. And so I want to urge those of you who have put your faith in Jesus to follow the way. Jesus wasn't just saying, I'm the way to be with God forever. He's saying, I'm the way to be with God right now. I want you right now to start practicing my ways. In fact, later in this uh, upper room discourse, Jesus sneaks off to pray at the very end of it. And one of the first things that he prays is he says, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Eternal life is just about knowing God. And Jesus invites us into that right now. And so those of you who have put your faith in Jesus however long ago, I urge you, like, practice his way. He's teaching us the way to have a relationship with the Father, and that is eternal life. We're going to talk a lot more about that as we continue through the upper room discourse, but it's a way that Jesus modeled his life. It's a way that we can follow, and it is the way that connects us in relationship with the Father. I said I wasn't going to go too much into the Spirit, but I did want to point to this one other verse in, in John 14 when he does talk about the Spirit. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So Jesus is not just comforting them with the comfort that they will be with him in his presence in eternity. He's also comforting them with the promise that this spirit is going to what? Be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And what that spirit of truth is going to do, it's going to help us learn and help us grow to love him and to keep his commands. Remember, I told you the big question the disciples were asking was, where, where are you going? How can we be with you? He's saying, you will one day be with me, and now I'm going to give you my spirit, 
that you can be with me every day because my spirit will help you practice being connected to the Father. I know a lot of evangelical circles, I think we've made a mistake of just looking at this verse in the sense of like, this is the way that you put your faith in Jesus for salvation, which is true. When you put your faith in Jesus, the spirit enters your life and you're, you're saved from that point on. But one of the things that we sometimes forget is to challenge people to continue to practice the way. Jesus didn't want us just to pray a prayer. He wants us to follow him and practice his way. And true eternal life is relationship with the Father. And the way we have a relationship with the Father is through practicing Jesus' way by the power of the Spirit. We'll see as we continue this series that Jesus is not just calling us to one-time belief, but he's calling us to faithful obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is offering so much more than one-time belief. He's offering continued loving relationship with him, the Father, through the power of the Spirit. So let's not settle just for saving faith. Let's practice the way of Jesus together that we can experience eternal life that is knowing the Father. Those words give you comfort and clarity today. Could you identify an area of your life where you said, yes, this is my God, what are you doing moment? And in that God, what are you doing moment? Can you be comforted with Jesus' words? Comforted with the promise that he's going to prepare a place for you. And comforted with the clarity that Jesus is the way. Like you know the way. Jesus is the way. Let's follow him together. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.